Welcome, one and all, to Andor, a Star Wars podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial podcast for the Galactic Core. My name is Matt, and joining me in the repair bay is Pete. Hello, Pete. Rebels unite. This is the Andor podcast by Fantastic Geek for Andor episode five, The Axe Forgets. Pete, making our way through the different universes of podcasting here. Our podcast on the penultimate episode of She-Hulk season one, She-Hulk the whole season series. Who knows? That's up there now ahead of the season finale next week. A blast to cover. Uh, Go check out our thoughts. I I don't want to say any more in case people haven't seen. You don't want to tempt anyone like a... Well, let's just move on, Pete. Uh, tomorrow, we'll be talking Star Trek Lower Decks. And of course, in that podcast, updating any news out of today's New York Comic Con Star Trek Universe panel, uh, the particulars of that panel uh, seemingly still in flux. Yes, having changed a little bit, announced in September, Star Trek Discovery, which is in production right now in Toronto, would have a presence there. Missing from an updated panel description this week of the convention, Star Trek Discovery. Tweeted yesterday by co-showrunner Michelle Paradise. See you tomorrow, question mark. This uh, amid the uh, trial for Kevin Spacey in which series regular Anthony Rapp is the star witness. So not quite sure. Uh, people from the production get there. Awesome. Looking forward to whatever news comes out from that. And of course, we'll bring it to you. And Pete, as we enter fully this spooktacular month, uh, yesterday, Werewolf by Night hit Disney Plus, and we will be podcasting that on Monday, October 10th, uh, running a poll shortly and so forth. So, looking forward to hear what people are thinking about this most unique entry into the MCU. Yes, the initial Marvel Studios special presentation, kind of a dry run, Matt, came without a ton of fanfare, announced officially less than a month before it started streaming yesterday, Um, and this dry run for the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special coming next month. Plug in. You should be able to interpret the entire Imperial Network. In the depths of Coruscant, former Deputy Inspector Cyril Karn sits on a bed in a room as the sun briefly passes between buildings. At breakfast, Mom Edie admonishes him for slouching. She pours him cereal with blue milk. Too bad she didn't see him when he was flourishing. But he says she could have come any time. She assumes he has no present prospects, but he says he'll find a way. She wants to call Uncle Harlow and bring in the old family favor, which Karn hasn't heard in a while, sarcastically, and doesn't think he'll respond. That is Uncle Harlow. Uh, what exactly will Mom be asking for? Well, Uncle Harlow knows what's best as she pushes some more food toward him eat eat pete i frequently refer to the phrase there are no small parts only small actors uh i didn't know we would get so much oomph out of the mom character here and actress Catherine hunter who uh recently 
uh, did an amazing job playing the witches in the tragedy of Macbeth, the Joel Cohen uh, movie with uh, Denzel Washington and uh, Francis McDormand, which is definitely worth seeing over there on Apple TV+. Here, she's just chewing through the scenes here. This could be a boring scene where they sit in space dining area. Um, but just the, the the subtext in her acting, the undercutting of her son, the support of him, the I told you so, the you know, you let me down, all of this dripping with how she presents things and not necessarily in the forefront of the words she is saying. Yeah, fantastically performed in in two scenes. I hope we get more of Mama Karn and her disappointment, really a through line, mother's and their disappointing children in this episode. On Aldani, Cassian Andor, a.k.a. Clem, wakes and sees his stuff is gone, but he still has Luthen's kyber crystal down payment. The other hammocks are empty, and he goes outside, eventually finding Skeen, washing himself, who tells him all his stuff is there, and then Val asked him to have a look that he didn't come with much and has a bad arm tells Skeen he left wherever he was in a hurry. He finds his corporate issue blaster interesting, but Clem didn't get a name when he took it. Skeen sees he knows that his barcode tattoo on his chest means crate head and the one on his far forearm means by the hand. Where was Clem? He was at the SIPO Youth Center for three years, starting at age 13. But Skeen's never heard of it. But the Empire's built a lot of cages. The axe forgets, but the tree remembers. Certainly, in addition to being the name of the episode, a theme to what's going on here. Uh, Skeen is asked, so is he there for revenge? He says yes. As for Andor, Clem, he wants to help, but of course he won't say who sent him. Uh, we do a little welcome, maybe reintroduction, renaming of the people in the group. Um, Skeen noting that uh, young Nemec is a true believer, all about the cause. Pete, that was when I heard your words ringing in my ear. You know, Nemec, so young, so pure, he won't make it. He's uh, dead. Th th <laughs> He's... There also is Sinta, Sinta Kaz. Stone cold and fearless, much like a description on a, the backboard of a blister pack for a toy. Uh, I'm I'm saying that this was with... slightly cynical. The week after I ordered my Velsartha action figure, uh, lovingly cynical. Um, Pete, it is mentioned. Uh, I, I think in passing to a degree that uh, those who might say you can't have Inhumans be on a movie screen because there's people who cohabitate in a way I disagree with. Uh, it is told by, uh, pardon me, by Skeen to Clem that Cinta uh, is already sharing a blanket as she comes out of a, uh, of a hut with Vel. So, oh man, Pete, no wait, Star Wars is still here. Nothing was actually damaged by the notion that uh, Cinta and Vel share a blanket. That their world a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away is uh, like ours. I don't know. Uh, without Lieutenant Gone, there's no plan, though. If he is walking them into a trap, uh, they would have been taken down by now. 
Or maybe that's why Clem is there. Serious trust issues amongst these rebels. Uh, but Clem says he's only there to win and walk away. Matt, take us to Mon Mothma before she walks away. Or is it Mom Mothma? <laughs> well, Mon Mothma is there uh, preparing to have breakfast. Perrin is there as well. Man she Mothma. has to. <laughs> What's that? Man Mothma. Man Mothma, indeed. Uh, she has to remind her husband um, that the driver is here and his name is Cloris. You know, the help has a name. Again, delicious trusting the audience in this show. Side note, we're coming from a scene where maybe the purpose of the last scene was to just remind everybody after a week off who's who and what's what and their wants and their needs and how everybody fits together. So I'm not saying blindly assume that your audience is chugging this um you know marathon style but in this scene here um we don't need things like Perrin you look down on the working class just come on the driver's name is Cloris uh Lida is called and uh she's their child this becomes clear as the scene unfolds um and no dad's not gonna be taking you to your spot today one can again infer you know school if not school then another spot that a space teen would be going uh you're gonna be going with mom uh, mom mon gets a lot of whatever from lita lita doesn't want to go with you no she won't get her coat uh mon mothma just wants to be seen uh, as a caring person and uh, her daughter pushing that back on her it's all about you image and so forth uh, mom is so hurt and i just want to point out pete fantastic camera work here as all three of the people seem distant from each other at the table. Pete, I'm going to compare it uh, favorably to the greatest edited table scene ever, that of the breakfast montage in Citizen Kane that achieved a similar thing. This does it with less cuts, and it's just everything feels so cavernous. This home is not a home. It's a house where people happen to be eating together, and that's all communicated through the visuals and the acting. And again, not dialogue to say, I feel like this is not a family. Heron's posture there, even the passive-aggressive, well, you got to clear it with mom if you're going to come with me. You know, this family is in disarray. No one needs to say that. We're shown that, which is the best storytelling here. And of course, uh, Mon Mothma gets up and tells her daughter and her husband she so appreciates their support before leaving. Back on Aldani, the rebel camp gets going for the day and Nemec gives Clem some memorable Dray milk to live on. Though it's not nice. Um, and we... <laughs> This time we get it said in dialogue as well as uh, Andor slash Clem's reaction here. Um, Only because we can't taste things we watch yet. Uh, Pete, not yet. Again, look, major opportunity here. <laughs> Coming again, I'm proposing here. This is not an actual I don't want to taste things I'm watching. Sorry. <laughs> no, Pete, uh, can't you imagine this summer coming to Galaxy's Edge on both coasts? Uh, you can get a Dre Milk milkshake that tastes of Gatorade and um, blue cheese. No, thanks. Uh, Andor is handed an oldie navigation tool by Nemec um, in a scene that is a bit talky about philosophy and so forth. Nemec 
opens this discussion by saying that this tool, uh, which kind of functions by itself, they don't go into the particulars greatly, but it kind of can function by itself. One can imagine a GPA, GPS-less GPS, if you will. Right. Uh, Sexton is what I kind of, you know, compared it to, that it can't be jammed, it can't be intercepted, that you could learn it with difficulty but you you don't need the old lazy imperial tech that we've all become so reliant on uh read my manifesto indeed you know so this is an opportunity we should be more independent uh he's indeed writing that uh manifesto about oppression pete a line here that i think i know and you know and probably a lot of people can suspect what inspired Tony Gilroy and company for this here? It's easier to hide behind 40 atrocities than one. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the notion of when there are so many houses on fire, you, it be, somehow becomes the norm. Uh, but what does Clem believe in? Uh, he knows what they're up against and everything else can wait. Uh, and uh, again, continuing the philosophical thing here, please read Nemec's work because the the – navigation tool is a tool to make your way through life and so too is this uh manifesto a map a map through political thought tamarin interrupts by calling for clem nemec asks if skeen trusts clem who says he barely trusts nemec in the hut vel goes over the plan again with the model they want to know how clem would calibrate the weight of the load they're stealing on an overhead rail. He asks if it's a test. Matt, I believe you have some experience with word problems today. Uh, Before hopping on the podcast, I indeed was helping my daughter with some word problems. Uh, So so what's the square root of the thing for Cassie and Andor and them to steal the stuff? Uh, Let's see. Well, I I was doing volume of a shape, not weight of a shape. But Pete, if we could estimate the volume of the transport that at least could be a starting point um and maybe in the future they'll tell us how much a camtono of gold weighs space gold weighs and we could figure out the size of it and so forth pete it's just proof that math is all around us here but math a bit of a challenge for vel and tamarin because it turns out this is not a hypothetical uh clem aka andor uh intuiting that they don't know the answer um and i love the tension there that he a he figures it out and kind of sees through there you know like i'm the boss putting you through the the paces here no they don't know i love the i love the optimism and i dislike in a liking way the arrogance with which with which vel says well we would have figured it out anyway oh really you would have figured out how to calculate the weight of the thing and then you would have also figured out how to um deal with the load looking at the load clutch and the gauge below and dealing with the custom modifications made and so forth. A, I understand from the story, the the overall story function, this is adhering Clem to the group when there's going to be discussion later on, like, hey, he's got a rich guy crystal. Let's boot him or kill him or whatever. They need him. But also I think it just shows in the best sense possible, the other rebels and or Clem notwithstanding, they're, hurtling towards this we know they're doing the right thing but they're hurtling towards this thing not prepared and everybody expects it's not going to go to plan there's going to be complications and we'll chew over all of that in a little bit he doesn't think they know how to get it off the runway 
They claim they know how to fly it, but he says they've got to get it up to the runway first. He asks if it's mounted, which they claim they're sure about because the Gowon has been there every day. But Clem says there's a load clutch, a big, ugly handle right next to the booster throttle with a gauge below to read out the weight. Tamron asks why it isn't in the manual, and Clem says it's a custom job, an add-on. Okay, and to that point that they they would have figured it out, but uh, they might not figure it out before they're all made dead. Um, Vel says it uh, might have been ugly, but of course, yeah, rebel ingenuity, um, not practical in the moment. Um, so Clem says he's going to pilot. Vel says he'll do as he's told, but he's insistent. Um, and as they feed the livestock, Tamron uses the valley to pre-visualize their target. The real thing, though, has a downhill pitch, but the distance is accurate. And they'll be coming from the old temple, the old temple that Lieutenant Gorn is surveying right now. Uh, indeed, cut to him. He's chewing out some lower-level officers. Look, the old temple has all this target practice junk. junk. This was supposed to be cleaned up. What do you mean the guys who are going to do it are helping the commandant's wife move furniture? You know, kind of get going here. Um, Those are the imperial missions we need to see. Moving furniture. <laughs> yes, I do think that that vase looks great there. <laughs> yes, ma'am, I will move it over there. Um, we go back to uh, the, the training area where uh, supposed Imperial Private Clem is given his cover story, how to march and so forth, shoulders back, walk like a soldier, love the ferocity where, you know, uh, Tamarin is pushing his shoulders back and he says, don't touch me, tell me, don't touch me. Um, this is the kind of thing where I wonder, was that just written from Jump Street? Did somebody perhaps our star did somebody say let's give andor something more to do here because it's a it's a minor but great character moment like you know i am this independent guy tell me what to do and i'll do it don't kind of you know manhandle me uh, but with that pete take us to ferrix you remember ferrix from a couple of episodes ago with a big incident yes where imperial soldiers similarly march down the now commandeered streets Lieutenant Blevin looks on approvingly and calls Captain Tygo over. He's been cleaning out guests from the hotel, the previously mentioned hotel. Uh, and Blevin wants to know if he wants it as his headquarters. Uh, Tygo asks to be made prefect, even if it doesn't come with a raise. He can wear a ball gown. For all Blevin likes, just get it up and running before his next staff meeting. We go back to Andor and Company, where they're practicing marching. Um, again, watching these scenes with the idea that, with kind of increasing sense of pacing, it's taking several episodes to get to the actual mission. So what are they spending time doing here? Prepping us for how it should go and what it should look like and so forth. So March, 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 Gorn will be at the gate. Uh, once they are there, they should be mentally locked in and listening. Indeed, once the gate closes and all of that, last man in, make sure you bolt the door. They approach the sheep pen, which is playing the role of the, the gate. 
Clem says that uh, Skeen should be carrying his weapon on the other side since he's left-handed. Oh, stop talking, you. You're, you know, be the good private and so forth. Uh, but it is Vel who says, well, wait, why? And he explains the particulars that if Skeen was actually an Imperial officer, he would uh, be on the other side so he would have easier access to his weapon. Oh, what hands do the other people use? Uh, Clem goes boom, 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 boom. Uh, with everyone, you see Pete, he's demonstrating to the group that he's got good good ideas and observations. Yes. So they'll switch, says Tamarin. Cinta tells them to wait as she hears a TIE fighter down the valley. Val tells them to cover up the guns. TIE whooshes five before turning back for an exceedingly low pass. Nemec tells Clem they'll soon see a surprise from above is never as shocking as one from below. The tie continues to the dam where Gorn finds Corporal Kimsey enjoying the view as his station gets a bit stale in there sometimes. Matt, why do I recognize this mustachioed chap? Pete, first of all, credit to Lieutenant Gorn actor Sule Rimi, because I watched this scene twice on the same day, and I was seeing Lieutenant Gorn's mournful look over the edge, the weight of the world on him, the betrayal. We're going to learn his backstory in a little bit. Uh, I was taking in, oh, we're at the top of a dam. This has been said, but not really highlighted, and it's making me think of other things that I'll discuss in theories and so forth. Uh, it was only when I was checking the credits to find another character's name that I said, wait, there's the there's a guy named Nick Blood who's in this episode. That's funny because there's another Nick Blood who was in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Beloved and who we've actually interacted a little bit with on Twitter and seems like a cool guy and all of that, part of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. family for life, etc. I said, isn't that weird that there's two Nick Bloods? Because the <laughs> character that he was credited for... I said, I think I know who that Sounds is. Like such an imperial name, too. <laughs> oh, Officer yeah. Officer Nick Blood. I was like, oh, I think that's the character who, like, when they're by the 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 gold cache, you know, late, later on, we have yet to discuss it in the recap, you know, paint the rails and so forth. I said, that's not either of those guys. And then finally discovered, no, it's Nick Blood full on in this scene. It's to a credit. It's to the credit of the scene, the acting going on with Lieutenant Gorn and so forth that... I completely missed this familiar face. I texted you. You hadn't noticed either. But whether this is a one-and-done scene or whether this is potential for more screen time for Nick Blood, uh, Pete, got a Marvel alum working in Star Wars, uh, all-around good guy. Uh, guy's been, again, cool to us with a couple of tweets here and there over the years. So uh, welcome aboard, Nick Blood. Agent Hunter there, uh, you know, raiding Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh after already reigning uh game of thrones matt the number of actors uh in the first five episodes there from that franchise but here kimsey uh asks are they tearing down all of this to move the airbase here which gorn says has been discussed not too many donnies you know al donnies to worry about anymore this how many does he think they'll have tomorrow? It was less than a hundred last time. Still enough to smell, though, right, sir? Imagine with a couple thousand. And, of course, uh, Gorn can. Um, he wants 
Kimsey making the rounds tomorrow night and expects him at his station. So I hope we're going to get some more of Nick Disco blood as he's known on the Twitter. And uh, hopefully if he's going to buy it, uh, it, it'll be an ignoble Imperial death, or maybe they'll just uh, switch him to the rebellion and he can be an agent of Mon. We cut to our nascent rebels uh, unearthing a supply cache and so forth, all while Clem practices local languages and so forth. Um, and Skeen, don't touch Clem stuff ever. Um, that dust up again? does. <laughs> again, yeah. That dust up does give Andrew an opportunity, like, oh, you can go dress over there by yourself, which is enough time for him to take the uh, kyber crystal from his boot and put it on so that we, the camera, can see it. Also, they're setting up the crystal thing for later. Uh, and he buttons up that coat. Tamron will make a soldier of him yet. Lieutenant Deidre Miro passes by Blevin and his staff after he's returned from Ferrix, gives him a rueful look there, and she asks her assistant, Hurt, about Hosnian Prime, who is apparently a model of imperial efficiency or lying about items that may have gone astray. She tells him to go, but she didn't realize how late it was. Um, he's, he's staying if she is. She admits she doesn't know what she's doing, but he says she is on to something. Kessel, Fondor. Targeting consoles from Jakku, proton warheads from Base K, the aforementioned Steerguard Starpath unit. Deidre says that Major Partagaz is right. It's too spread out to be organized. She knows if she was them, though, that's how she'd do it. Never climb the same fence twice. Hirt says it's too random to be random. So she pulls at her collar and asks him if they can look at two more files each. He nods and she pops some pills as he hands her something to wash them down with. Hopefully they're just calf pills. Uh, but what a scene here again. Lean scene, efficient scene, uh, hammering home. Loaded with subtext. Oh, absolutely. References I, to uh, Tony Gilroy's not Star Wars like Hosnian Prime and Jakku, you know, those sequel trilogy worlds that matter just as much as the rest of Star Wars, even though not to Tony Gilroy. I do love the idea that the rebels are being so careful as to only have one theft per, I'll just say sector for lack of a better word, but that thefts like this you know the, the whole it's too random to be random i just love that and again you know we're rooting for her for dedra as the underdog it's been floated in the prior episode that she's you know her gender might be a, a negative to her advancement so she needs to be extra you know extra careful extra great at her job and so forth so we are rooting for this underdog but wait this underdog is trying to undercut you know the whole rebel alliance that is star wars um it's a great way to do it. I mean, Pete, Star Wars, you may have heard that Star Wars has had literally some black-hatted villains before that are just the embodiment of evil. Um, 
okay, don't do that again. Let's go with something different, which is I really root for this lady, except, oh man, she's a tool of oppression. So it's just, you know, it's complexity and it's wonderful. We go back to the shepherd's camp, the crew staring into the fire, uh, indeed the fire of the model being burned, evidence dispensed with. It's the night before the mission and so forth. Clem uh, takes a drink of something more stiff than Mednog. They uh, they all salute to the rebellion. Interesting character moment. I don't know, Pete, if it's even a theory thing, but it's interesting that as the flask is handed down, uh, Vel stops Sinta from drinking from it. Um, but they, they toast to the rebellion uh, and the models burn. The next morning, the billy goats are free, pens left open, back to their natural billy goat habitat as the group of six heads out. Back in the Karn residence, Mom tells Cyril he was wrong about Uncle Harlow as he examines his breakfast again. He told her, uh, Uncle Harlow did, that he never felt police work was Cyril's chosen path. But Cyril says he doesn't know him well. Uh, he asks what field Uncle Harlow thinks he should pursue. And mom said Uncle Harlow wanted to think about it. She struggled with how to best describe the events that led to her call. She told him how sorry Cyril is about what happened and stressed it was a large enough mistake to be deeply educational. Cyril heard some of that, you know, because mom's side of the conversation in the apartment he's staying in was uh, difficult to not hear. Again, I don't know where things are headed with all of this, but they're in their own story that is fully rendered. And we have a very clear sense of where they are coming from. I think it's a bit, I mean, you know, not knowing Uncle Harlow and so forth, not quite sure where things are headed, but they they are aware of that. They are aware of their own trajectory, and it just makes what could be like, oh, we're getting some Karn story service, so like in a week or two, he can be like, now I do major things, and this is just to keep keep the pot going on the, the, the back burner there. Like, this feels like it's its own full story, even though this scene is probably, you know, 75 seconds, if not less. Vel quizzes Clem on the particulars of the location they're raiding as they walk. He asks about Gorn. Gorn loved a local woman, lost a promotion, and then lost the woman and his taste for the Empire. Everyone has their own rebellion, Matt, which might be a thing on a poster. Hmm. There you go. Uh New poster coming to Galaxy's Edge exclusive. <laughs> um, but yeah, this idea of your rebellion. Um, I like my rebellion with pepperoni and cheese. Inside <laughs> the dam, a Pete, we see the train, we transport thing, we see the overhead rail, we see that it's being loaded. Uh, see also, that it's rusty. Did you notice that? It it did look a little kind of, you know, imperial old there. They better paint that, too, in addition to the gantry. Um, though the camera, I think, uh, or though the edit, rather, later in this scene, really hammers home that them's gold in them thar, um, you know, gold holding room there. The vault. Um, the vault, thank you. The word escaped me momentarily. Be, quick, 
to the gold holding room. Honestly, I was just thinking, could you also use this set for like a Star Wars James Bond thing? And all of a sudden it's like, you know, Goldfinger is there. And it's just because I, I very much think that the way Goldfinger um, shows uh, Fort Knox, I suspect influenced how we see the the vault here i don't know maybe all vaults With are the same imperial gambling chips um regardless <laughs> true all true as to the dialogue in the scene gorn sees jobs undone so everybody's gonna have to work even harder here you know during when the eye is here during the great thing tomorrow night because i'm a real tough guy who loves the empire and the stickler for rules um and his subordinate saying you know sir please Nobody ever wants to come here, but if you are here, they say you want to see the eye. Can't you let up a little bit? Uh, even though, you know, you're a, a guy who loves the Empire and wants jobs done. Fine, fine. Tell the men I almost punished them because I'm a really tough guy who loves the Empire. Uh, and this is when we get a quick cut to the space gold. Yes, in the vault there, they uh, shine those credits uh, right after Gorn smiles satisfyingly as he walks away he's done the reverse psychology on their trek the rebels take a breather skeen sneaks up on clem and puts a knife to his throat and rips the kyber crystal off his neck and shows the other see see sky kyber look at it go oh i didn't know it was sky kyber that i should say what's up i didn't know it was sky kyber now we're really talking until they told us before and and then again after it's a stone worth 30,000 credits matt who brings a treasure to a robbery great delicious line, line. yeah okay uh clem reaches for his blaster tamarin is behind him tells him not to nemec says there's a ship in the valley so impending more impending danger perhaps vel tells them to move Skeen gives it back. Nemec says the ship is headed towards the garrison. They see this Imperial Lambda-class shuttle headed away. And Clem admits he's being paid to be there. Tamarin asks if Vel knew and tells her the choice was presented of take him or call it off. Uh, but uh, Clem says this happens. They have too much time to worry right now before of course he's afraid but there's a difference between fear and losing your nerve uh tamarin asks cinta if vel told her uh she did not and vel tells them to get to the camp and they can talk it all over there we cut to Mon Mothma's speeder where wife and husband are taking in a silent ride uh, some conversation does happen. She's taking her earrings off. So we are post an event. I don't know if this was the dinner from last week, although that was supposed to be at their house. But regardless, um, having come from an event, uh, Perrin has just heard from somebody else about Mon Mothma's new foundation. Uh, she dryly says, I didn't think you'd be interested in it. It's charitable. Uh, and Perrin has Cloris, the driver, take the expressway. I must confess, Pete, this is a perfectly fine scene. Um, I don't currently understand what it does to further oh, the narrative. There's so much going on here. They've clearly been out 
She's taken the earrings out. They're done for the night, but they can't even enjoy a space car ride the long way over Coruscant. Uh, the real rebellion is in this family. Uh, we go to the Magnificent Six, approaching the dam from above, hiding in the dark. Uh, let's get a signal fire going. We go back to Karn. Let's not forget about him, Pete. He opens his hollow reader and considers young Andor's face. Is that perhaps the way out of his predicament? With his clone trooper toys on the shelf behind him, Matt, he wants to be an identical soldier, genetically engineered, just like them. Pete, I have zero criticism for the fact that he is a grown-up with Star Wars toys uh, <laughs> that he can see right now over there that's you know what maybe there is redemption for karn and he's not a proto secessionist uh who's gonna pay the price maybe he's a good guy deep down wow i i feel unseen <laughs> gorn checks his space watch and looks through his binox to see the fire signal vel tells skeen to tell clem about his brother a farmer the empire killed the prefect wherever took his land then flooded it may have been there not quite sure um his brother then uh got in a boat and filled his pockets with stone um you know explicit that uh he committed suicide uh clem thoughtfully asks what type of farm it was a pepper tree farm centuries old here skeen says that's as close to an apology as clem's ever going to get clem says it's close enough vel tells clem tamarin's completely in charge now clem asks where she will be and she says if all goes well he'll see her tomorrow night Clem tells Tamarin he won't have a problem with him. Nemec wishes um, Vel and Cinta good luck. No farewells, though. Plenty of work to do as they leave. Almost as a postscript, we are at Luthen's shop where he is uh, in the, the back room there fiddling with his space ham radio. Uh, in front of two hologram holocrons okay and also two of the three sankara stones matt uh, pete where might we see sankara stones elsewhere uh maybe in molaram's hands in india uh a long time from now in the indiana jones franchise ah that's the one that lucas and spielberg made when they were both getting divorces Thanks wow. helping cause a PG-13 rating when you scared children. Well, uh, maybe those artifacts will uh, net Luthen and Clea here some fortune and glory. Pete, I wish that they weren't selling them because those relics, they belong in the museum. Um, but I digress. Uh, he's been fiddling with the radio for an hour. Uh, she thinks that nothing is coming through tonight, so you'd be better off cleaning some coins. Uh, but has she checked her walk-away pack? Pete, that's what more modern and perhaps more concerned people might call a bug-out pack. 
Um, has she also checked the the pack on the Fondor? Yes and yes. She doesn't like to see him so tense. Uh, he shares with her, I think he has realized in the last hour, that uh, things can be tracked back to him, not just Vel, but also Andor, the thief. Now there's two lines of communication back to him uh, if things go bad. She says, well, regardless, it'll be over this time tomorrow. And then the delicious response, or it will just be starting. And uh, they head out there and he closes the room to close the episode. People are starting to stand up. Just how will the revolution happen? Pete, let's start with this. I think the show in the last couple episodes they have both shown us that the forthcoming train payroll job is taking place at a dam, but they have also not really highlighted the fact that it is a dam. That made me think of the movie Dam Busters, which not only tells a largely true story uh, from World War II about a uh, plan to drop a bomb on a dam using new technology where it bounced on the water and sunk to the bottom of the dam and so forth, but... Um, Dam Busters was in that George Lucas way. Um, George Lucas took scenes from Dam Busters and cut them in as temporary scenes into the trench run battle uh, for the original Star Wars, and then they made things to be similar to that. And I'm not trying to suggest he stole it, but that was his template for the um, Death Star trench run. So the notion that we are headed towards, you know, all these people are going in the dam slash train station, but these two ladies are going somewhere else. Pete, I think we're going to get dam busters, particularly with that line. So this whole area is going to be used for something even more. Uh, not that they can bust the dam. Yeah, the uh, idea of an airbase where were Vel and Cinta headed so I think, Pete, based on the chronology that we've seen, and this is now the night before the big mission and the night before the eye and the night before they can control the sky uh, because of all the not meteorites and so forth, can we A, say that the mission is next week's episode and B, let's hear your predictions on who makes it and who doesn't? I think there'd be a full-on uproar if they don't uh, you know, raid the damn dam next episode as i was joking in our recap here it's it's fine this continued build up the the drawing out of tension is delicious and and more details instead of just all right and now we do a space battle on land thing um i like your proposal that vel and cinta are off maybe to liberate a tie fighter uh or some other craft in support um oh come on gotta be listen let's go full dam busters here all of a sudden (laughs) they show up it looks like it's a tie fighter cockpit cut to wide shot they have a tie bomber come on let's let's do it oh uh i i see them more embedding themselves with the aldanis to go to the temple and maybe you know, sowing distraction down there. I mean, you know, the only thing we can predict is that this is not going to go to plan. And how many different choke points will they, will there be that gets screwed up? You know, we're, we're talking about the, the weight of the loot 
they're planning to steal and a, an older system, one that's on a rail, okay? So it's not even floated through here. It's, it's reliable, a rusted rail at that, where now fewer soldiers will be posted because they'll paint something the next day. Like there's all these different places. I think the question is how many will go wrong and what have they overlooked? You know, is, is after Nemec dies on the way in, <laughs> right? Like they, they're, they're going to break us on, on Nemec. Okay. Or, you know, is, is one of our, uh, rebels, a, a double agent. Is, is that something we're overlooking? Um, you know, is there no clutch thing is, is Andor going to get behind the cockpit here, you know, behind the wheel and be like, Oh no, it's stick shift. You know what now? Um, yeah, th this thing's just going to be loaded with, uh, problems, uh, we're guaranteed that two people survive, Matt, and we know one of them, and the other one has an action figure of her that has uh, art that we haven't seen yet. So, yeah, Bell's going to make it, too. You raise a really good point, which is so much has been established in two episodes with this slower pace for us to know how it's supposed to go that any one of those things, you know, we, we have this crowd of maybe a hundred will be there. Okay. How's that going to play into things? Pete, I'll give one prediction here. If they do bust the dam is part of the, um, cold menace of the rebellion, the, mm. the, the ledger of math. Hey, there are the 100 Aldani down there enjoying their, uh, religious freedom and their cultural <laughs> celebration. But the dam has to go, sacrifice a hundred to save a million. Hey, was it worth it to drown all those people? You know, I could see the show saying, um, or Vel or whoever saying, yes, uh, we are. Here's another flip side too, Pete. How successful is this mission going to be when it still does not count as, you know, rebel spaceships striking from a hidden base have won their first victory against the evil Galactic Empire? You know, I know this is they're not exactly using rebel spaceships and so forth, but we're told that Rogue One is the first major victory. So the, my point is this, the bar is pretty, uh, I don't know whether it's low or high, but the bar is pretty solid for some things to go wrong here and it, for, for it to be counted as less than a total victory. Yeah, is this an epic failure, um, if not for loss of life on the rebel side? more in the populace or that the uh imperials just shut this down um we know that there are more extreme factions you know fighting against uh the empire like Sagarera, um who don't seem to care about collateral damage and and that's been noted later on in rogue one and you know through some of the other media uh, so yeah, it, it remains greatly up in the air how this is going to go. Uh, maybe it is a complete and total, you know, catastrophe that nets them nothing and has the rebels have to ratchet up their game, bring 
uh, Forrest Whitaker's Saw Gerrera in as we know is coming um, and get even, you know, more outside of the box in terms of trying to topple the Empire. And I think that's one of the interesting benefits of this show existing um, as a prequel. And this is a discussion similar to what we had for Kenobi. And we're also inhabiting a similar, we have inhabited a similar prequel space for Star Trek Strange New Worlds. We know the ultimate outcome of this overall effort in the events of Rogue One, the events of the original trilogy, and so forth. So weirdly, the fact that we don't know the particulars on how we got there, that gives a ton of room for a path to success or a path to partial or indeed total failure. You know, next week is the midpoint of the season. So there's no guarantee. uh, uh, There's no guarantee that we're not, you know, it's the first half is failure and the second half is success. Like that, that there's that possibility too, versus, well, if next week is the season finale, uh, Pete, they're probably going to have a, an upward lift and then maybe a, a scene at the end to go, Ooh, but Darth Vader is listening or, you know, something like that. No, we're, we're deep in the middle of this story and plenty can go wrong. So Nemec's manifesto here after his death, we all completely expect because he's the, most likable and most sympathetic of this seven. Uh, does this manifesto take on some kind of larger significance within the Rebel Alliance? It was such a talky scene when he's talking about that and the, the references to you know mapping and mapping for yourself and independence and all of that. I had a couple of thoughts coming out of that scene. First is... If Tony Gilroy and the, the, the small writing staff, uh, which, you know, again, consists of Tony Gilroy, Dan Gilroy, and Bo Willimon, um, Stephen Schiff will get a writing credit for episode seven, uh, that he was the showrunner who was shown the door. So I suspect this writing credit might be more of a um, attaboy than, you know, he, he, he crafted the episode seven uh, script, you know, with uh, quill and ink, Shakespeare in love style. But... I'd, I'd wondered if the, the manifesto scene, to bring it back to that, is it these writers getting through some philosophy and some reflection of the modern world and so forth, and maybe a producer saying, all right, we're not going to do four scenes where we sit and go talking about the real world. Can we boil it down into one? Heck, the actor kind of speeds through some of the stuff. And again, that's not a criticism. It just, it was a lot, it was a lot of philosophy in a little period of time. Um, I think if his manifesto gets out there and it's inspiring other people and we see them reading it and wiping away a tear because this guy was killed at Aldani, that's one story outcome. If we kind of don't hear more of it, then I think it might be a little insight into the writing room where they're like, we need to show philosophically where these people are coming from, but heaven forbid Disney get caught in too much of a political discussion, then who knows what could happen. Certainly... Uh, mother of the rebellion here, Mon Mothma, knows about rebellion within her own household. Yeah, I did not know what to expect from this character when it was announced and shown she was going to be in it. Fine, you add her uh, her counterpoint, her contrast in her husband, who you know likes you know multi course parties while people are starving, and okay, that's a 
I understand your story structure there. I understand the contrast and so forth. To now add this notion that from her daughter's perspective, perhaps implicitly from her husband's perspective, she's so wrapped up in the import of the empire and these larger issues and so forth that she's not present as a mother, that she's not present as a wife in, in a marriage I think that we see as largely icy. Um, and even this claim that she's using her daughter as a prop. Um, I did not expect us to be kicking any dirt onto the character of saintly Mon Mothma, who's, you know, aspiring uh, leader and, and, and so forth. Uh, again, I appreciate the depth that they're giving to her as to what to make of it. I'm not quite sure. Again, that's part of the benefit here. We know Mon Mothma remains eternal and dressed in robes and many Bothan spies died for all of this. Okay, that's great. What's the middle look like? We have no idea. The name of Lita is taken directly from the expanded universe. So they kept that. They, uh, you know, fold her in as space Chelsea Clinton. Uh, they changed the name of her husband uh, to Perrin. And yeah, I mean, this is a really engrossing family drama in the middle of this war story. Um, slightly disappointed we didn't get the Day of Days celebration for Perrin with Sly Moore and anybody else that might have come by for that. We know we're going to get you know, some high society drama with Mon Mothma later on. So, you know, don't uh, don't fret just yet about that. Um, how about Uncle Harlow, Matt? I'm going to make the prediction that he might be in the orbit of Mon Mothma. Karn and his mother feel now for a second episode so outside of the rest of the story that it can only be that we don't see the curve of the arc but the arc is, is of course bringing them back somehow right otherwise you just sit and go oh karn you're under arrest you're, as i said a couple episodes ago uh, we're gonna take you out back and shoot you the end if we're not doing anything with you um so from a story perspective it's logical that he somehow circles back I know that we had discussed last week the possibility of him perhaps turning into uh, an agent for the Rebellion. I would argue that his focus on Andor, okay, fine, Andor, guy for whom the show is named and for whom everybody else is tied to the to his adventure and so forth, um, it's a logical way to, to have the two intersect again. But I feel like him saying, this is the face of the bad guy who did this to me to me that maybe doesn't cement, but it further suggests that somehow he's going to stay on the stay on the side of the baddies. Uh, what is his next move? I mean, I guess he's waiting on uncle Harlow. I guess that's the benefit of like, we don't know what to do with you for the rest of this story. So uncle Harlow will think about it. Boom. Cut next week. Uncle Harlow has, has come up with a decision or we get to meet uncle Harlow. Um, I just think, you know, I know it's tough, like the Empire as fronted, you know, our first views of the Empire and A New Hope, you know, as fronted by 
these very visible stormtroopers and then, you know, black clad, mysterious, covered, masked villain and so forth with a red sword and all of that. Um, we know how bad the Empire can be. I just really feel, I feel like for as much as we are getting, um, for as much as we are getting the positive radicalization of our Imperial, uh, pardon me, of, of our rebellion, I feel like we're going to see the radicalization of Karn, and I think that the show taking inspiration from, uh, shall we say, more recent radicalizations and uh, seditionist attempts and so forth, I, I sense that that's where we're headed. I just don't quite know how to fit in, but there's already the anti-rebellion people and they're the mighty empire, and that's really compelling. Could um uncle harlow be in luthan's sphere that's not a bad suggestion particularly if it's like oh karn is ticked off at the empire who let him down uh and maybe this could be another rebellious flower that we start to grow and then it is karn who's like oh man i'm sitting at the crossroads here i can get all the medals if i sell out these people and I can tug at this string further and so forth. Um, so I think that that's probably, I don't want to reduce what you said to like a path of least resistance writing wise, but that would be a heck of a way to be like, you know, uncle Harlow is maybe again, whether he's aware that Luthen is involved in these rebellious activities, or if it's just that, that handoff to the Lucan, uh, to, to the Luthen sphere of the story that's almost a more direct way to get Karn back in the action than other options. Deidre Miro is looking for connections here. Is she on to something or is her assistant perhaps amorous? I have not been picking up an amorous thing uh, from the assistant. I think he's just as, well, first of all, to have a character like, uh dedra who is operating you know by herself and that she's not getting help from the establishment and so forth she needs a number two from whom she can bounce off ideas and share philosophy and things of that sort um i think he's uh pete i'm thinking frankly of commander ransom on uh lower decks this number two guy here is happy to be supporting his superior and when the superior is looking a little down he knows to kind of come in there and say, hey, we can do it. What you said about a pattern, it's, it's too random to be random. Let's keep working, boss. Uh, wind beneath the wings and so forth. Again, against this tragedy of I'm rooting for her, but not to a point where she actually figures out that there's a rebel alliance and uh, captures all the leaders and, you know, and, and it's curtains for our heroes. Here's something to wash your uh, pill problem down with. Yeah, like I'm thinking, I know we've had obviously the death sticks and all of that. And I guess there's been like by implication, some cantina folks might have been on the hookah or things like spice, that. But... The spice, it's not a spice dream. <laughs> but generally speaking, we haven't seen the world of Star Wars where there's like, you know, the the needle in the arm and the that sort of thing. Again, we've seen kind of the the world of that but we haven't seen like here's the hardcore you know heroin metaphor so again it's one of these things well somebody added the detail there if it was just like let's dig in all right well she could take a purposeful sip of liquid to say oh i'm getting ready for the night 
of work or it could be you know let's put a let's put the calf on the kettle okay i understand they're gonna drink coffee tonight the popping of pills it's one of those things that's got to be a sticky detail that's not foreshadowing yet it's not Chekhov's gun yet but it's got to be something the imperial engineer coming to aldani from coruscant is checked again no name we mentioned galen urso as a possibility uh last episode matt what if this officer is the future director krennic well, I mean, Pete, that would assume that you could have easy access to Krennic actor Ben Mendelsohn. You know, Pete, he lives in Melbourne, Australia. Okay. But wait, Pete, what's that? He's coming to the United Kingdom uh, <laughs> uh, uh, in order to film Marvel's in a secret, secret Invasion. There you go. He, and, and that filmed, let's see, that filmed in London from September uh, 2021 to April 2022. That happens to be a perfect overlap with Andor that filmed uh, from um, filmed around the same time. So could it be super easy to sit and go, hey, you're still the same size? Need the pants let out, brought in, whatever it is, boom, bing, bang, boom. Have, have Marvel send your pant size over, send your waist size over. You hop into the costume, you show up, you say, very good, very good, oh, that railing isn't painted. Paint that, mister. Boom, you're out in half a day. We'll get you back. Thanks so much for working on your off day, or thanks, Marvel, for lending him for the day. It's right there for the taking. It's almost more for the taking than uh, than some of our other options. Is the failure of this Aldani mission uh, going to be so severe, Matt, that Luthen will be forced to sell his Sankara stones for... <laughs> fortune after no glory <laughs> i appreciate the reference if your larger question is when does luthan have to uh fish or cut bait um i mean it's worth thinking about pending the outcome of next week's episode or, or let's look at what is known through five episodes there he is working in the shadows and keeping it a secret so he's kind of, you know, he's definitely involved, but he's kind of an instigator, but then back selling his stuff. Um, is there something in the second half of the series that makes him need to take a more definitive stand? Uh, does that portend his own violent end here? Um, those are options, too. I think the notion that we get to episode 12 and he's like, okay, I'll wire you some more space money for the next mission. Ding, ding. Oh, someone's at the door. Hello, would you like coins? Like, that's not a reasonable outcome for him to be the same after 12 episodes. The static, pun intended, between Luthen and his seeming assistant, Clea, Matt, is she really in charge? I don't think she's in charge. I think she is his partner in crime, clearly. I think that in, within the shop, you know, she is the assistant and he is the owner. Um, if you're floating, perhaps there's a an equality of heart and an equality of dedication to the rebellion and perhaps an equality of, uh, of uh, after work activities and so forth. I think that's all on the table. I don't think that she's actually the secret mastermind tricking this, this old guy into uh, rebellious activities. 
rebel spies have sent us some secret transmissions. Pete, we start with our Twitter poll uh, in which the option was, uh, which role would you play as the rebellion takes its early steps? Um, 31.3% said hired gun. 25% said person on the inside. 31.3% also said art dealer from afar. And then 12.5% said Vel's extra secret job. Pete, I bet when people see Vel flying a Thai bomber and the bomb bounce, bounce, bounces, then goes kadunk and sinks down uh, at the bottom of the, the dam and then the dam is busted, I bet people are going to say, oh, I wish I had that job too. Uh, some replies on Twitter. First from at Steve Thurbridge, who says, felt like I could simmer in this episode a lot more than last week. Subtle, slow burn items. Uncle Harlow, crate head, empire, ladder climber person. Next week will be a hold your breath action episode, and I think they have earned it after the last two. We are from Captain Noel Gardner at Noel Camille. Clearly, I'm the art dealer. I'm really loving these characters, even though I'm sure we're going to lose most of them. Right now, I need more background on Mon Mothma's family. I have a bad feeling they are enjoying the Imperial life, and that will cause a problem soon. Try Hard Troy, Cyril Karn, <laughs> uh, is another fascinating character. His desire to prove himself will be his downfall. I can't wait for next week. Heist time. Next, we hear from Ian Silverman at Sylvie underscore 76. And Ian says, really enjoyed this episode. I might have thought it would feel slow to have another whole episode pass before the heist actually happens. But turns out it was just really good at building tension and showing us more about the characters. Also, this was some of the sharpest dialogue in anything Star Wars I can remember. Great banter between Cyril and Mama Karn. More family drama at the Mothma household. Lieutenant Gorn manipulating the security guards to make sure it's only a skeleton crew the night of the robbery. Next, Pete, we hear from Jackie Wolf. That's at Jackie Wolf. I don't often like high-stakes episodes with a heist because I find them too stressful, and this episode was hard to watch, but I can appreciate that it was well done and entertaining. An entire episode leading up to an event we already knew about could have been quite unsatisfying, but this episode has good momentum and didn't feel like a filler episode. When can I expect to see Karen's Star Wars cereal on the shelves at my local grocery store? Uh, and then lastly, Pete, a tweet from Spider-Ham Lincoln, Tess LC 139 who says as follows, I continue to be impressed by what a smart and sophisticated show this is. The writing slash dialogue is superb. We're given crisp, intelligent stuff here, and the long game is tight. Feeling sorry for Mon Mothma's family dynamics. She's leading quite an unhappy life right now. I fear that, while Luthen 7 will probably have a successful heist, some of them won't make it. Perhaps that ends up being one of the reasons why Andor is hesitant to get involved with the rebellion in Rogue One. Uh, finally, I feel like how each Star Wars TV series so far has its own flavor. And even though Boba Fett had some significant crossover with Mandalorian, each still had its own vibe. Kenobi and Andor have some similarities, but they're really vastly different. And that is a good thing. Pete, what do you have on your end? On Facebook, Matt, uh, Lauren... Cusro has written into the Fantastic Geek Facebook page. So awesome to have Faye Marseille in this. That's, of course, the Belle Sartha actress that I didn't know till this week played the character of the waif on Game of Thrones there, tangling with uh, Arya Stark. Uh, and Lauren uh, finishes off here saying she is great. I mean, they're all fantastic. 
it took 10 months to film these 12 episodes. Clearly they were taking time here and clearly to even be in one episode or two episodes. Um, great care was taken and uh, I, I suppose we'll learn some of their fates uh, next week. To the email inbox we go, Pete, an email from Steve Adams who says this was a great episode. The strength of this show is turning out to be the fact that they have 12 episodes in this first season. The writers have a lot of room to grow characters and build their world, and they are taking full advantage. They managed to get a ton of story out of an episode that had no real action at all. The tension that is building is almost palpable. I'm having a hard time believing that Mon Mothma's husband and daughter will survive this season. Ethan, wow. I have a great sense of tragedy heading her. Uh, I sense a great tragedy heading her way. Surely the heist takes place next week. Can't wait to see how it goes off the rails. I'm becoming more <laughs> and more of a fan of this show as it progresses. Bring on the next episode. Until then, stay fantastic. That from Steve Adams. Uh, off the rails, indeed, or the rail. Hope. Did you calibrate the uh, the load correctly? Well, Pete, luckily, we don't need to be doing any rail heists uh, on account that this podcast is listener-supported by those who go to patreon.com slash fantasticgeek. And uh, thank you, everybody, for keeping us out of the gold-holding room, a.k.a. a vault. Yes, our uh, Imperial vault is uh, remains filled amply by everybody who gets over to patreon.com slash fantastic geek can't contribute this month it takes just a dollar a month to get you in uh go to apple Podcasts, leave us a rating in seconds a review in just a little while longer really do need them for our newer podcasts helps keep them uh pushed out by the algorithm so uh if you have thank you if you haven't please take a, a second get over to the andor podcast uh she hulk uh our regular pop culture podcast any of those can uh use a little love pete as we look ahead to the midpoint of andor next week how can people be in touch with you to talk star wars you can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, -E 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 12,762 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter's Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash FantasticGeek with the P and the H. Like it today. For those listening on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, not only is there some Star Trek discussion tomorrow on Werewolf by Night on Monday, but uh, next weekend will be the wrap of She-Hulk as we continue, of course, with uh, Andor and Star Trek Lower Decks and so forth. But for now, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Any civilized being knows an open invitation is no invitation at all. <laughs> <laughs>